Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 21. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. And now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, but he should ask who should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he, he it is, to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Let's pray. Lord, here we are, as you decide. Just little lost lambs in need of guidance and direction, salvation. We've all come to that point where you've saved us, but we have not yet reached that point where we're complete. There's still the weaknesses and frailties and problems in our lives. And for this, we ask your blessings beseech you, Lord, to be near and dear to us in our days of distresses and concerns and worries, problems, sicknesses, for all those who are physically ill that we have mentioned tonight we pray, for those who are sin-sick and have not come to that point of salvation, we pray. For those who are burdened and distressed, we pray. Ask, Lord, that something in this service tonight would lift us up and bring us closer to you. Even as we face our difficulties, we know that there's something in you that brings us closer and closer to your divine love. Continue to love us and bless us in our need, we ask in Christ's name. tonight about the night that Judas went out of the group of disciples and did the final betrayal of our Lord. There are lots of night scenes in our lives, all kinds of night things. And we usually think of those as being disciples. 
stressful, burdensome, terrible to live with. Some of you this evening said that you have unspoken prayers. We don't need to know what those are, but we can relate with you. Because we all face those things in our lives that would be called night things, not joyful, glad type things that take place in the day, but almost as if they were going to take place at night. This week is going to be a little rough week for me because it was a year ago that Lynn took her final illness and died. We buried her a year ago this week. These are all night things, darkness, distress. We all have our fears of, of those things. Many people are afraid of the dark. Probably some of you are afraid of the dark. And as soon as the light goes out, those fears creep in. I can remember when I was a kid that I was afraid of the dark. I noticed uh, last night our grandson is staying with us now, probably most of the summer. And uh, when I went to bed, long after he had gone to bed, he left his light on. I didn't think of going and turn it out. I'm not used to having a kid in the house. But I noticed the light was still on this morning. And it reminded me that I'm aware of the fact that he is afraid in the dark. I wouldn't have said that if he'd been here this evening. Because there are all those imaginable things and sometimes real things that lurk around the corners that come after us. And we may have all of those distressing things that take place, but there is one fact that we have that is extremely real as well, and that is we know that there's going to be a morning. Now someone will go to bed tonight and not wake up tomorrow somewhere. You've heard of many people who, that it was said after they died that they passed away in their sleep. I think that's a good way to go if you're saved. To die at night in the quietness is probably nice. In the dark, to know that when your eyes open the next time, it's going to be perfectly daylight and never to be dark again. But there is a distress in the scene before us here in the scripture this evening in that here is a man who was never going to see light again. It was going to be eternally dark for Judas. There would be no hope, there would be no sunrise. And I think Judas represents all peoples of the world who are not saved. They're all saved, probably here this evening. But we can relate, I think, and understand. But we're talking about a situation that is utterly and absolutely hopeless. Not one good thing can be said about Judas' death. He's gone and will live in darkness forever. For the 
person who dies without salvation, there just simply is no more light. Night will be eternal. The scripture talks about death as darkness. It speaks of hell as being eternal darkness. And it speaks of heaven as being eternally light. I don't know how many of you have ever been able to visit some of our caverns in the state or somewhere else, but while we were away on vacation, we took the occasion to revisit uh, Smokehole Caverns. It was those caverns that uh, were, had some of the flood water in during the 85 flood and took out all of the facilities that the man owned around the caverns. I wanted to go back and review all of those places that I had experienced during that flood. I came away from there very distressed uh, with all of the devastation and death that I was exposed to. And I wanted to go back now, five years later, and see what had happened. And I got the opportunity to talk to the man who owned the, the caverns, and he showed me what he had done to rebuild and restore all of his facilities. It hadn't damaged the cave. He didn't get quite that far into the cave. But, so we, we took a new trip through the cave. And uh, the guy did what he had done many years ago when I was there. At one point, he turned all the lights out. Uh, I had experienced that before. But unless you have really experienced total darkness, one has difficulty imagining what that's like. It is literally impossible to see your hand before your face, as we say. There is no way in total darkness to have a, even a glimmer of the slightest bit of light. There is absolutely nothing. The eye cannot make out any image whatsoever. I label that point simply for, uh, for, to make sure that we understand that this is one of the attributes of hell. There is no, no light. It is absolutely black without the capability of ever seeing a thing again. This is what Judas was about to experience. Jesus was sitting with his disciples, having the Passover meal. And out of the blue, he simply says to his twelve, one of you will betray me. That was a terrible shock to those men. Not a one of them had the slightest idea that there would be one in their midst who could possibly turn against the Lord. Peter said, I'll never do it. And all the others said, no, we won't either. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And Peter motions to John for John to ask Jesus who he's talking about. Which one of them is it? Over in Matthew, you will find that several of them personally asked if it would be them. Peter said, Lord, is it I? John said, is it I? Others said, how about me? Is it I? 
We're not told that Judas asked that question, is it I? But he mingled in amongst the group so much that not one of them had the slightest inkling that it was going to be Judas. Now, in all of this conversation, we don't find the first harsh word from Jesus to Judas. Even though he knows that Judas is going to be the one, he still shows concern and compassion. And Judas isn't about to betray himself. We talked a little bit in the message this morning about hypocrisy, and Judas is certainly one of those who had presented himself in such glowing terms that everybody around him thought that he was one of the faithful. The disciples, the apostles were deceived. Judas was possessed of the devil. He belonged to the devil, and nobody knew it. Isn't it strange that the devil can sit in our midst and we don't even know he's present? That's exactly what they were facing. But even though Judas had been possessed of the devil, Jesus was not harsh to him, no animosity, no hatred, but there was exemplified in the words he spoke to him, some sorrow. He was certainly disturbed. He turns to Judas, and well, he says to the apostles, the one that I am going to hand the sock. What they did was had a thing that they put in the common bowl of soup or shop, as they called it, and Jesus was going to put that thing in there and hand it to Judas, and he said to Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. Let's get it over with, in other words. Nobody knew, except Jesus and Judas, who it was. The disciples, even after Jesus did this act, didn't understand that it was Judas. They thought, well, he has said, go out and buy something for the meal. Go, go do something, since he was the treasurer of the group. I think there's some things we can see here. One is, of course, that man can hide from man his, real, his true identity. We know each other fairly well, but there is absolutely this certainty that not one of us knows each other perfectly. Not one of us. And we can, if we choose, hide ourselves well enough from each other that we can fool each other. And we may be one, if we're not careful, that Satan would possess and the others would never know it. There were some hints, however, about the nature of Judas. One of those hints took place, and we find it in the 12th chapter of John, when uh, Mary Magdalene was standing at Jesus' feet and was weeping and, and so on, and she anointed his feet with oil. 
Judas became upset with her for doing such a thing and, and wanted Jesus to rebuff her and say, we could have sold that oil and given the money to the poor. Well, John goes on to explain after the fact now, when he can look back on Judas' life, that Judas did not intend to take the money from the sale of that oil and give it to the poor. That was an excuse because he was the treasurer and he helped the bag. That points out that he was well thought of and had been elected probably by the group to handle all their financial affairs, and they didn't suspect that he had sticky fingers. And his real intent was to get money in the bag so he put his fingers in there and get some of it for his own benefit. This becomes a problem not only of stealing or other sins, the problem of lying, problem with cheating, the problem with being immoral, on and on we could go. They start out as little things, and we have hints. We see in other people's lives some little things that are happening that if they are not corrected are going to be big problems one day. Now we can see that in our kids. We can see it in other people's kids. We can see it in each other. Starting out little. A person who tells a little fib will one day tell a big fucking lie if he doesn't get that problem under control. A person who would take a penny off the dresser who belongs to mom may someday take many dollars out of a bank as he, if he has the right opportunity. Little things, they start out small and begin to build into big problems. And they could have noticed in the life of Judas, had they been watching, that he had a little tendency to, uh, to be too possessive of their finances. Judas, however, knew his problem. This is my point. You and I know where our weaknesses are, and God knows where our weaknesses are, even though we hide them from each other. Now, David was a person who lamented this very strongly. Back in the 51st chapter of the uh, 51st Psalm, we find David lamenting very, very definitely about his own sin. He starts out the 51st Psalm by saying, by a, it's a prayer, and he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness and according to thy multitudes of thy tender mercies, that blot uh, out, he prayed, blot out my transgression. He knew that he had sinned. If there was a greater sinner in this world than David, I don't know who he would be. It would be difficult to come upon him. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He was not a good father. He had lots of problems. And he prayed that God would blot out his transgressions. And he says in the second verse, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Then he says in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin. And there's the point I want us to notice. Judas had a way out. And that was to beg forgiveness for his sin. But he wouldn't do it. Here's where we falter. 
We want to lock all of our shortcomings and our sins into one little phrase, but we say it meal time and forgive us our sins, amen. And that's supposed to wipe everything out and cover them all up, and we don't have any more, and it just won't work that way. It's too flippant, it's not sincere, it's a habit type thing, and doesn't speak to the fact that you and I must take our transgressions to God and beg his forgiveness, and we need to name them. Lay them out there. That's what David was setting the pattern for. He says in the third verse that my sin is ever before me. The sin of Judas was ever before him. So, Judas is aware of his sin. And I think that there is nobody in this view but what are aware of what they do or have done wrong. They know it in their heart. And God knows it. And the need is to get the heart of man and the heart of God on the same wavelength. The same wavelength. To make a petition like David did to God above and pray that God would forgive his sin. We try to bury our sin and hide them up and it just doesn't work. We need to be aware. Ezra, chapter 9, verse 6, makes a very dramatic statement. Ezra said, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. Have you ever been caught up in something? And the person whom you did it to confronted you with it. If you're like me, your face turns ten shades of red. Blush beyond belief. I don't even blush if you accuse me of it, I'm innocent. And that's good, I suppose. And that's exactly what Ezra said. But he was saying it to God. He said, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to be my God. Why? Because he was so sinful. But it's needed. There's a storm raging within Judas that won't let up. It surely should have caused him to be ashamed and blush that he was going to do what he did. But he went right out and did it anyway. And then the 20 of the 30th verse that we read says that Jesus told him what you're going to do, do quickly. And Judas went out immediately and it was night. Now let me come back to the beginning statement. There was no hope offered for Judas. This was his last night to ever see anything. What would you look at if you knew that tonight would be your last time to use your eyes? 
that you will ever see anything worth it. This is what Judas is facing, the brother Noah. And it's so needless. It's so needless for Judas to have done this. It is an inexcusable error, it's the unpardonable sin, for a person to die without accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Inexcusable. Judas had heard all the same messages that Jesus had preached. He had seen all the same miracles. He had felt all of the Holy Spirit at work that all the other apostles had felt and had seen. He had seen and heard the witness of the power of God. He had been exposed to everything that the other disciples had been exposed to and turned it down. This is the tragedy of the unsaved. He was willing to walk out of that room that night lost. He didn't have to. He could have been saved had he elected to do it. And you say, well, how does this parallel to the fact that, that the scripture prophesied that, that he would be lost? Well, listen. Uh, God knows what's going to happen before it happens. He's just aware that Judas would do it, but he never denied Judas the opportunity. Judas failed to take advantage of the opportunity to repent. And God knew that he would not repent. God knows this very night, the men and women of this world who will not repent. He already knows he's going to be saved. Judas went out of his own desire to do his dastardly deed, and he didn't have to do it. But the second thing that we will notice is that Judas is absolutely hopeless. There is no hope whatever for him now that he has taken that step. All the prayers could be prayed and sermons could be preached, and not one of those is going to cause a first flicker of light hard for us to accept at times, but it's really true. I know that there are many people who sit in the congregation when I'm preaching that will never, never be saved. It makes no difference how well or how poor I preach. They're not going to respond. That doesn't mean I should not keep preaching. That doesn't mean that we all should not keep praying. We should continue to pray and beseech God to come into their hearts, and we should keep preaching. But remember this one fact. God gave every man the right to choose. Every person has a right to say no when it comes to salvation. And God will not violate his right to do it. This is where Jesus was. So the question then we must ask ourselves is, who's responsible for Jesus' loss is going to hell? I think the answer is quite obvious. In the end, the ultimate responsibility lies with the individual. The community, the church, the family, friends all have a responsibility to influence, but not one of them can make that decision. Mom can't make it for child. 
Husbands cannot make it for wives, or wives for husbands, friend for friend. The church cannot make it for the lost of the community. The final bottom line is every person must make his own decision as to whether he does or does not want to accept Jesus Christ. Then the die is cast, and if the answer is no, God will respect that. He will respect it. But the consequence of that decision is an eternity in absolute darkness. And this is the thing that, that disturbs me, is how is it possible that a person would admit and know that as he is today, he is going to live eternally in darkness and still won't accept Jesus Christ. That's hard to comprehend. Except John 3.19 says that men love darkness rather than light. And men do. You know, all you've got to do is wait for darkness to come. In the cities, even as small as ours, to see the people just come out. One of the responsibilities I have on my job once in a while is to go on some of these what are called night spots for an inspection. I am continually amazed at why people want to go and drink in the dark when they can't even see what they're drinking. I have to carry a flashlight in order to see my people obvious. Their deeds are evil and they want to cover them up with darkness. That's why nobody goes out here in the middle of the daylight to commit some awful sin. He'll wait until he is under the cover of darkness. And then he thinks that he can get by. Nobody's going to see him. He's all. The great gamble that these people take is that every sermon that's ever been preached is wrong. They're going to gamble that. No preacher has ever told the truth from the book. That's the gamble. No church has ever told the truth in their doctrine. That's the gamble. The Bible obviously is wrong. That's their gamble. And if they lose in the throw of these dice, it's eternity in outer darkness. And they're going to gamble everything on that fact being wrong. But there's a way out. They seem they don't want to take it. There's only one way. That's by the way of the cross. There is a need for confession as we find in Romans and many other places, there is a need to believe, to allow the Lord to come into our lives. I want to go back to Psalm to close. A dramatic passage in Psalms is number 31. Psalm 31. I want you to notice, if you all turn back there, 
three verses. And they go in a, in a good order. Verse 1 of Psalm 31 says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me from thy righteousness. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Now here is the beginning of salvation. A person must put the trust in Jesus Christ and never be ashamed and pray for deliverance. Verse 3 goes a step further. Thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Now here's the step beyond. I now have confessed and just want to believe. In verse 2, I'm asking God to guide me. See that? Then verse 5, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. He asked for redemption in verse 1. He asked for guidance in verse 3. And now he confesses in verse 5 that he has committed his spirit to God. He has been redeemed by the Lord. That's the pattern. Confess, get direction, and praise God for doing what he said he would do. One other passage was the Psalm 37. Just turn over right, just a few pages. I'm going to read a little poem and we'll close. But I want you to notice three verses in Psalm 37. Verse 3, just three words is all I'm going to call your attention to in this whole thing. Verse 3 starts out with the word trust. Verse 4 starts out with the word delight. And verse 5 begins with commit. Trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, and commit your way to the Lord. Isn't that great? That's what we have done, I hope. But unfortunately, Judas didn't do it, and neither have our friends and neighbors who are not saved. They haven't done that. Let me close with this little poem whose author, I don't know, that says this. The clock of life is wound but once. No man has the power to tell just where the hands will stop at late or early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed. To lose one's health is more. But to lose one's soul is such a loss as no man can restore. So do not wait until tomorrow to do his blessed will. The clock of life may then be stopped. The hands may then be still. This is the night of eternal darkness that Judas faced, that no man needs face. I'm assuming that we're Christians, right? But I'm going to give the invitation anyway. If there is a need for rededication, or someone who wants to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, you know, you might be a member of this church, but you're not saved. You acknowledge it. You want to be so. You will step forward and do it as we sing our closing hymn, number 204.
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.